Welcome to DSO Overflow. I'm Glenn Wilson. I'm Jessica Craig. And I'm Steve Jaguer, the organizers of the DevSecOps London Gathering, a monthly community meetup for anybody involved in factoring security into their software delivery, which is just about everybody. The DSO Overflow podcast is an extension of that meetup in the form of a relaxed discussion with our guests around the topics that feature in our monthly meetup. DSO Overflow wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners and, of course, our sponsors. Prisma Cloud. Cloud-native architectures have radically changed the needs of security operations and development teams as attackers capitalize on this ever-evolving landscape. Prisma Cloud breaks down silos, allowing for true DevSecOps workflows, full supply chain visibility, and enhanced responsiveness, ensuring complete security coverage across the entire application lifecycle. Contrast Security secures the code that global business relies on. It is the industry's most modern and comprehensive code security platform, removing security roadblock inefficiencies and empowering enterprise developers to write and release secure application code faster. And Sysdig. Sysdig is driving the standard for cloud and container security. With Sysdig, you can prioritize software vulnerabilities, detect and respond to threats, and manage cloud configurations, permissions, and compliance. Your teams get a single view of risk, from source to run with no blind spots, no noise, and no black boxes. And of course, a big thanks to musician Joshua Mann for our amazing DSO Overflow theme music. In this month's episode, Steve and I are joined by Francesco Frank Cipolloni of Absec Phoenix. Frank talks about CVSS scores and CVEs and how they create too much noise to be effective in helping organizations improve their security posture. We hear Frank speak about contextualization and risk as a means to improve security with your organization. Let's have a listen. Welcome to the DSO Overflow. Um, and we, um, Steve and I, are here today um, to talk to Francesco Cipolloni, um, who presented at one of our DevSecOps London gathering towards the end of 2022. We are now recording this in 2023. So, Frank. Would you like to introduce yourself to us? Thank you for thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the the chance, Glenn, Steve. It's always a pleasure to to, to be here with you. And um, I'm a bit of an oddball because I started as a practitioner back in the day, um, evolved from pure infrastructure to software development to then cloud, and then people that are on this kind of three field in my careers uh, across a lot of banking environment. And I've been seeing the same pattern and pattern over and over and that kind of stimulated me to launch uh, what is now Phoenix Security and I'm CEO and founder of Phoenix Security. So that's a little bit me, but it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you guys at the show and it, it's my honor and pleasure to talk to you today on the podcast. That's great. Um, and uh, Steve, obviously, uh, our uh, listeners will be very familiar with you. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I, be- I believe you're uh, recording this from Toronto at the moment. Uh, so you're not actually in the same room as us at the moment. So uh, this is a international affair. It's truly global. <laughs> truly global. <laughs> so we just wanted to really talk about some of the uh, stuff you talked about um, in a talk that you did with the DevSecOps London Gathering. Now, I know we didn't record that, so our listeners won't be uh, familiar with it, but um, 
Uh, one of the uh, topics that you did talk about was CVSSs, um, so uh, Common Vulnerability Scoring System. Um, mm -hmm. And I know in conversations that you and I have had um, separately that you've got some really good, strong opinions about CVSS. And I just wondered, what do you think about them? Are they a good idea or are they a bad idea? Yeah, what's wrong with it? What's what's good with it? Now, I think CVSS was a great project started by... Shoshak and friends and evolved into being the de facto standard because there was a vacuum in the industry to say how bad something is. But then it kind of became the de facto and the only solution to vulnerabilities. The, the thing that is wrong with it, I think there was an initial intention to make it more contextual and more logical it ended up failing because it was i guess too complicated or there wasn't the need at that point in time so i think my opinion on cvss is it's a good springboard it is suitable and purposely uh, structured for the 21st century definitely not it's almost a 19th century tool that we that we keep on going around and beat developer with um and, and that caused a lot of frustration because it's non-contextual, because it's flat fundamentally. So my favorite sentence is not all critical are critical and not all critical are the same. And that's my favorite, favorite sentence. Well, CVSS in itself uh, flattened them up. And then there is the problem of CPE and the structure of CPE and the structure of product. There was an initial intention that never evolved to adapt to software. And... I think OWASP has covered that extensively. We've seen that extensively with SPOM. Kind of the field has evolved massively with cloud, with software and asset inventory, while CVSS has remained a 10 years old tool. And so right now we don't know how to measure problem across the board. We know how to measure problem for patching in a very basic way, but we don't know how bad is a patch on an external server versus an internal server fundamentally or a business critical app versus a non-business critical app and that causes a lot of frustration and that causes a lot of what we call false positive in our days but they're actually not false positive they're actually non-priority i think the, the other quote that i like to always mention is only 10 percent or even six percent of vulnerability that an organization has really matters what we focus on the 99% normally on a random scenario. So what are the chances that we're going to fail at focusing on the wrong one? You mentioned a couple of um, acronyms there, CVE, um, you mentioned, and CVSS, which obviously I brought up to start with. For those of our audience who are not uh, familiar with both of them, just, could you just explain what CVSS is and what CVE is? Yeah, so CV is the common vulnerability enumeration or index that is fundamentally just a number that the organization uh, or, or a database used to actually say this problem was recorded at this particular time from this vendor. And CV is what uh, the uh, organization that is uh, first has structured to fundamentally refer to the product that that particular CVE affect. And CVSS is the really basic matrix that uh, originally first has come up or the working group on first has come up to actually measure how bad it is with certain indicator of factors. Um, and it is kind of structured in three ways. It's structured in the basic um, 
measurement that is used normally by all the vendors that declare a, a problem and, and it is what we commonly know as the uh, 0 to 10 scoring uh, with the perfect 10 to be the probably the worst case scenario and the zero that I have never seen, one or two I've seen. Um, but then CVSS kind of was structured with a temporal score and others, other segment of um, the scoring system that was never really utilized. So the only basic score was utilized. The other pieces were kind of lost. There were the initial attempt to contextualize vulnerability, but they were fairly complex. Uh, and, and maybe ahead of time, at that point in time where we only had patching, we, we didn't have the enormous problem that we have today with the number of vulnerability declared that are, I believe, 35% year on year increasing and kind of the landscape and scenario between software, clouds and patching that we have right now that is a little bit of a nightmare. It's actually pretty fascinating, if you don't mind. Going back, you said 10 years ago, um, the world was the world of software development was entirely different. It seems ten years is like they're like dog years in software development, and <laughs> and, and it, everybody was you know, we were, we were some people were moving into the cloud, some people were moving to microservices. That would be incredibly innovative ten years ago, mm-hmm. and the amount of open source that was being used, we were still very monolith, and you could see why the the concept of treating all vulnerabilities as equals and having a single scoring system would make sense then. And how have you seen the change in the way software has been developed over the course of the past 10 years contribute to making the CVSS scoring system not irrelevant, but created a need for something more? No, that's, that's a brilliant question, Steve. I've seen probably eight, ten, well, eight years ago, really the initial acceleration with the cloud, with the new acceleration of the cloud that were kind of the traditional lift and shift for people moving server or things as they were um, onto the cloud. But then people start thinking maybe it's a chance to revolutionize a little bit how we serve or how we evolve. And then that generate kind of a rat race of developing and, and evolving as quick as possible with fundamentally container and open source to fundamentally fuel those acceleration and people if you want trusting blindly uh, whatever a developer has put out that has worked so far, has worked till, till that point in time. So there was no perception of why downloading a piece of software is, is worse than downloading an attachment on an email. There was a different perception at that point in time because there weren't that many attacks. Now, shifted to nowadays where supply chain and digital chain uh, attacks are on top of the list of probably all the season. And if it's not, probably uh, I highly suggest <laughs> to have a look at them. Um, with I think Circle CI being probably the most recent uh, panic mode attack uh, that um, we've seen today. But we've seen a completely shift of where the problem originate. Not that unpatch Windows service and unpatch RDP system for the traditional folks in infrastructure is still not there. We just got very good at fixing it, very mature at fixing it. We have methodology that that we've implemented that over 10 years have worked. 
I think. Uh, there is still an enormous amount of vulnerability, but then those get added on top of all the other vulnerability that we have on software and maybe misconfiguration of cloud and container that are all interrelated to each other, but it's a C and we don't really have a methodology, a strategy, because as Glenn and Steve, you said before, 10 years ago, we didn't develop that much software. Right now we have a sea of software <laughs> that we have to handle. And I think maybe no method to do it or, or the babies that have method to do it. I guess also 10 years ago, we wrote our own code. We installed it on our bare metal infrastructure. Right. And today we are using code that's written by someone else quite often as we use open source technologies. And we are hosting our software in platforms that are maintained by other companies, other, other businesses. So it becomes very difficult then to, to actually understand what assets you have and where those vulnerabilities are. Is that something that, um, do you see that as, as, as a major problem right now? I think there is a problem, but also it's an opportunity. If you think about it back in the days, it was really diff I mean, we always sucked at asset management. Let's put it this way. <laughs> and we will always suck at asset management. I think it's a problem that will always be there. And I believe it's something that the, the landscape where we operate as security professional is changing so fast that we kind of struggle to keep up with the amount of asset that we have. And with the ephemeral nature of some of these assets like container cloud, I think we, we kind of given up <laughs> altogether and trying to focus on the vulnerability to actually say, okay, let me focus on what's really live and what's really burning rather than making an index of whatever is around. Um, so I think that's, that's one element of it. And on the other side, we kind of trust it blindfully software and whoever was building it and there was no perception of attack on on those type of assets fundamentally we were focusing on social engineering we were focusing on phishing we were focusing on unpatched server that are still there but now the perception i think is there's been much more noise um and i think with solar wind attack there's been a ear pricking up of a lot of organization on Okay, this this new way of organization to or or attacker to get into us, it's very different. Uh, and we saw um, probably even British Airways has been an interesting way of attacking a library, taking over a, an account from an official maintainer. So a very legitimate piece of code being deployed in a very legitimate library that was adopted blindfolded. I think it's a new world where we operate and at a speed that doesn't allow us to triage or look at things in the method where we used to. And that's kind of my perception of, of, of what I've seen evolving over the years. It's interesting you, to use the word, we suck at you know, asset <laughs> management. And you can, you can tell, I feel like in the world you can tell, the, you can get some um, confirmation of how much we suck when regulation shows up to tell us to stop sucking. <laughs> it's true. But um, I think there's been a lot of regulation, well, regulation kind of governance around asset management, but there hasn't been never a mandate to actually do it properly. Maybe, you know, PCI DSS, maybe Cyber Essential here in the UK have 
done an attempt on asset inventory in the very traditional way of your endpoint or your laptop of your things, but it was never there was never an input to actually do that on software and all the rest of the asset that you have. But back on, on what Glenn was saying, Steve, I think there was, I don't like all doom and gloom. I think we have an opportunity here because those assets are ephemeral, but also are digital and are accessible through an API. So right now we have a way to actually query a system that maintains those assets and have a dynamic way to actually query this. So I think we are in an era where we need to rethink what software is, how long it lasts, if it's even worth to monitoring it, and approach the, the kind of the problem with a new and fresh perspective of everything is interconnected, vulnerability in itself, they're not atomically there, they're not all the same, they are related to assets, and assets are related to each other. So it's all about the relationship between each other. And my favorite topic, contextualization, and then prioritize the vulnerability accordingly. That is where I wouldn't say CVSS sucks, it just a very old tool for a very modern problem. Let's put it this way, in a very British way. <laughs> I guess context is everything, isn't it? And 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 in today's systems, which have become you know much more complex, understanding where the context is is very difficult. So therefore, doing inventories and scoring and prioritizing and rating just becomes a huge challenge. It's almost impossible to do. So a new paradigm is needed. And you mentioned there that... Uh, you know these are digital assets and therefore they're very accessible not only to um attackers but also to people that want to um fix them um but uh, right. I, I i guess um that that's the, the future that's the way forward is to actually think in a different way is not trying to inventorize and score but to actually you know knuckle down and start fixing stuff um through processes that are much more automated and and using apis and much more accessible processes and, and i guess that's the way forward right yeah and i was reading an article uh, and don't, don't shoot me for this on Ghana the other day so it's, it's actually a good article from Gardner on actually how to start pragmatically a vulnerability management program because when you start looking at an organization you can get over help where do i start from infrastructure from software from cloud and scoping is really the key and then iterating and expanding and I think they divided it, um, they originally called it CTEM, uh, sorry for the acronym. Uh, I think it was cyber, I don't remember anymore, <laughs> another acronym, but um, threat exposure management system, something like that. Uh, but in a nutshell, to, to boil it down was, you know, identify where you are, what you want to scope of, of your part of organization, start inventorizing fundamentally those assets, start looking at where they are, rescoring them based on the context, prioritize, and then really act on the on the risk that matters most, and then iterate and then expand. And I think with this methodology, it becomes, I wouldn't say easy, but you can iterate on the number of things that you can tackle and maybe start on the easy part, if you want, of inventorizing what is already inventorized by the cloud. And then looking at the relationship between software and cloud with how you build your, I don't know, container, for example, or how or where do you build your software into your container and then expanding this relationship and this context-based relationship. Or very simply, looking at which server you're running in the cloud and on which network you're running it externally and internally. Even that, 
together with threat intelligence that is openly available on the web, like Shodan, like EPSS, there are two, or gray noise, there are three kind of reference elements available. It tells you exactly which vulnerability is more likely to get exploited. Even using these three elements, that is no rocket science, but is, is just doing it pragmatically and consistently across the board. It, it puts you ahead of probably 80% of the company that right now tackling this problem manually. The ability to define your attack service must be pretty critical. And the uh, combining that with, well, as you said, asset management, we keep saying asset management, <laughs> and maybe we should expand the definition of asset for people listening, because security professionals from AppSec will have a an idea in their head what it is. And then those from CloudSec will be thinking, okay, it's databases and S3 buckets. If you can help providing a definition that maybe crosses through all the different security silos as to what asset management or what an asset is. Steve, that, that's really good point. I think depending of, of which year you were born, you identify assets in a different way. <laughs> and we originally started with asset, I think, on the on the pure what laptop do you have, what device do you have? And then it kind of evolved in what server do you have, physical server, and then evolved maybe into the cloud with what digital um, version of a server you had. But then you have this kind of hybrid element that are the ephemeral asset that is, for example, on a container, you have an asset that could be uh, an image, but then that is linked to effectively a running container in live that is still interrelated to assets. And then you have software that is even a more complex environment where you glue piece of text, you compile those software, and all of this become a software asset a different stage of the life cycle of, if you want, the pipeline or the production pipeline of what it means to actually build a piece of software. And all of them have very different, I think, characteristic and stages and relationship with each other. Some of them have relationship, most of, some of them don't. But then when you look at a production environment, you, you really need to consider a full stack um, environment with software that runs has been built with library that were pulled from somewhere and where it runs so which container where it runs which image was pulled from where and which cloud environment and which underlying asset it relied on but there are different stages and different type of assets but fundamentally all those assets have a life cycle a lifetime and as well vulnerability associated with them I, I do remember working with a client once who uh, who wanted an inventory of every running container. Um, <laughs> so I think that goes to show how difficult it can be to to, to list your assets, <laughs> and also what what it actually means to to, to have assets. What what are they? So uh, it's it's a challenge, I guess, even today. And I think that's that's a good point. That it's it's a challenge to actually define asset and and to translate all these. I mean, in, in 10 seconds, we exploded the concept of asset and, and I'm confused myself because I've, I've mentioned like 50 different type of asset. So go to a business meeting and trying to explain this to a business person, like we have 40 million vulnerability on our uh, container environment, infrastructure environment, and so on and so forth, mentioning four or five different assets, you completely lose them. And I think that's that's maybe in the last four or five years, my experience, I've seen kind of the challenge of, of translating or 
communicating in business term this very, very complex element. And I think we have the tool. We always had the tool to actually translate this very complex scenario into business term. We just never used it. So CVSS was a number from zero to, to 10. We never actually used the term risk or we actually misused the term risk a lot in cyber. We actually made CVSS, that is, is a pure uncontextualized number without any probability or any concept of impact into risk. That is, how bad something could be, what is the probability that, that something could happen, and, and what are the consequences. That's, that's the most basic definition of risk. So if you take CVSS, that is, is, is just fundamentally one of these elements. And I think we, we tried or we kept on, on communicating to the business, to the developer, well, the developer is a different problem, but to the business, kind of this single number and, and they didn't know what to do with it. I think that's the other problem why we, we suck as well at fixing vulnerability because they never prioritize because the business doesn't understand the message that we communicate to them. We don't talk in terms of, of business risk and they will focus on other risk, fundamentally, something that they can relate, understand, and do something about it. And also those CVSS scores, uh, you know, which you just mentioned as well, you know, you talk about 10 being the most critical, but in some systems, a 10 may not be critical at all. Whereas a 5, which is less critical, could be sat there in a system which um, is 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 extremely vulnerable from having a 5. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is, as you say, context. So, um, Steve, I think you're going to say something, you know, yeah, I, it was interesting. You said, "Oh, you're across an enterprise organization. You know, you pulled a number out of a hat. Say, forty million vulnerabilities um, that you are aware of that are running. That has well. I mean, coming from a background you, you know, working at a vendor that was creating SaaS solutions and software composition analysis, the landscape of of reporting and as you said, as the numbers are going up every year, just having a list of all your vulnerabilities." is a recipe for doing absolutely nothing because <laughs> you you can't there's a little bit of theater that goes on saying that look we've done it we know all of our vulnerabilities but if you don't have some method so what? Of, yeah so what <laughs> you know some method of knowing which ones matter uh independent of cvss you're lost and we're going down the right track of asset management to know what's what you've already mentioned the ability to connect your assets together in order to see which one might be connected to a load balancer or which one might be connected mm-hmm. to a database and which ones are on a critical path. So what's the next step? I mean, how do we make all those connections happen? Because I think that's probably why listeners have come to this podcast is to find out, well, how do I contextualize? How can I only work on 5%? Because like, I only have time for 5%. No, that's 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 probably the, the million-dollar question. I think I think I break it down the problem in three in three areas. And and there isn't there is a, a right way to do things, but also we operate at the speed of light. So software, IT, and cyber is messy. So whatever you can tackle first and in the best way, or as as I love to say, it depends by your organization, by where you are, um, is really the best way. So prioritizing vulnerability based on even just basically the probability of something to get exploited that is public available EPSS and other index are out there to actually leverage and use 
uh, to actually even just prioritizing the big bulky list of vulnerabilities and say which one are actually being exploited in the world. That skin at least 90% of the vulnerability. That's already focusing on just the 10% of the vulnerability or at least prioritize them. And then looking at where those vulnerabilities are, that's probably more challenging. That's probably the next step of evolution of looking at which assets those vulnerabilities relate to and evolving them into which business application and how critical is that business application is probably the next step to introduce the concept of impact. A business application that processes all the card payment data for your organization is probably a little bit more critical to fix uh, if a 10 appears or even if a 5 appears than uh, if a 10 CVSS 10 appears in the cafeteria menu showing display uh, that your organization run. And without any context, those two vulnerability looks the same. So you're focusing probably on the one that is more risky. That is probably the, the we've done a survey, 80% of, of security professionals focus on the wrong stuff because we are human. We, we look at the big red burning fire rather than the other one. Well, the concept of context and the concept of business context, like how critical is an application, actually really shift our focus of what's really important, so what, what is the fire that really matters to fix. And then I think the third aspect and the third element is how do we communicate this into a storytelling way, into a story to the business? How do we make the business perceive that bad is bad and how bad is bad and what we can do with it without causing panic? Because it's really easy to go to the board and say, everything is bad, everything is burning, we need to fix everything. That's not going to go, not going to fly with a business because they're not going to stop just to fix cyber. Cyber is just one of the risks to go forward. And in this particular environment where we are on short resources and business fighting fundamentally to actually stay alive and survive in a potential recession, doing more with less uh, is probably better. So if you have the power to communicate not vulnerability, but business risk that has the element of probability and impact, you are already much more empowered to say, well, right now we are at this risk level. If we continue fixing at this risk rate uh, or with this rate of mean time to resolution or or how how quickly are we fixing things, in five months, we're going to go down to 5% or 10% of our risk. Are you comfortable with this risk level? So you empower the business to actually make a decision on risk rather than on numbers based on data. And then the business can say, yeah, double the the, the, the time the developer takes to actually dedicate on vulnerability resolution instead of half and eight and a half, or I'm fine with this. So you empower the business to actually make a business decision. And then you have the tool to then, and, and the developer and engineers actually have the time or at least have a statement from the business and a direction of the business to actually say, okay, I have the mandate to actually go and really fixing stuff. That's a very long answer to a very short question. No, <laughs> that's that a very good. tricky, a complex one. question. I actually, you threw a number out there. I think it was eighty percent of security professionals are focusing on the wrong thing. Was that you can correct me if I've got that wrong? So I found that really interesting because how do you know you're working on the wrong thing? I think that's that there's an unknown unknown or a known unknown or I can't remember what the, which one it is because am I, am I just, or is it more like, I'm not sure if I'm working on the right thing. 
I think I'm not sure if I'm working on the right thing or the wrong thing. Yeah. Or if you take the scenario, you know, you've been 10 years in an organization, you actually receive a report from a business application. You know everybody in that organization. You have 10 years of history where you know where to tackle. So you have that kind of perception of, you know, that a problem appearing on that business application, on that particular file, on that particular repository will require more attention. But that means that you're putting all your eggs in a basket of a specific person that's got got will something happen to that person, you lose completely the ability to actually focus. And we've done some statistics. It, it roughly takes about 24 main hours to actually contextualize and triage a vulnerability to actually understand where it is and, and how bad it is in a system that is kind of medium complexity with few containers, with few repo, with few library. So triaging that from the get-go. That number kind of goes down a little bit uh, if you're very experienced with a particular system, with a particular team, but it's still an enormously high number that is very reliant on people. And all this information are already there. We just we just got used to actually fix a problem with just people. And the flip side of this problem is people are burning out because it's a very, if you want, grateful or ungrateful work to actually go and, and look at a 3,000-page report from a SaaS scanner or a static code analysis scanner, then an SCA, uh, and then looking at the patch and then correlating all this information to each other. This is a machine job. It's not a human job. We are good at thinking outside of the box of, okay, maybe these five vulnerability we can bulk them up together and they can be chained together or... Uh, we can just upgrade the system instead of just fixing the vulnerability. This is where a human is actually much better at fixing stuff or, or providing insight. But if he has insight and other data that he can rely on, if you have a flat list of vulnerability, you, you just guess. That's pretty funny, actually. Just doing because we've mentioned 40 million vulnerabilities and you just mentioned 24 hours to figure out the context and prioritization of just one. Uh, that means you need 2.6 million years to prioritize your 40 <laughs> yes. million vulnerabilities. So yeah. I'm seeing a return on investment in automation here. Yeah, the flip side is not, most of the time you're actually just not focusing on the vulnerability. So you hope that you address this or you address the right vulnerability, or you overcompensate. You put like 400 compensating control around your organization, and you hope that if something gets missed by people and and by by fixing stuff, something else will catch it. But we've seen that this is, is catching on to us because we're still putting firewall in front of things. We put, we, we're still putting very old methodology to actually fix a supply chain issue that... Is bypassing all this old methodology. Not that the WAF will not save us or a firewall. I mean, those controls are there for a reason and are preventing a lot of other occasional attacks. But if we don't prioritize, then you know we focus on on random stuff and we hope that we are correct. Without data, it just we're walking blindly in the sea of red, as I call it, in the sea of red vulnerability, without a path to green. And I guess the other challenge as well, <clears throat> which a lot of these um, businesses have, is that you know you talk about these forty million vulnerabilities and two point six million years of triage. Yet, um, 
they, 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 there are other things that they got to develop business stuff. They got to develop the stuff that's going to make the company money, and, and that's uh, right. And that also has to take a priority. So it's not just prioritizing the security um, risk; it's also uh, prioritizing in amongst all the business risk as well. Um, you know, if if you focus too much on security and not enough on features, you know, you you could end up losing. Um, money um or you know profit or you could even become bankrupt <laughs> fixing your vulnerabilities or, or, or non-exist or non-existent exactly um and that's a and risk also, against another risk yeah and also the workload of individuals will go up and up and up trying to mm-hmm. sort out um vulnerabilities as well as well as do their business stuff so it's a it's a balancing act right it's it's it's, it's got to be done in a careful way otherwise we'll we'll end up with with organizations for the sake of security going bankrupt for, for other reasons well, that, that's, I don't think that will ever happen. What will happen is, and what we see happen is organization prioritizing other things because they don't perceive the dangerousness or specific vulnerability, or we don't communicate with them in terms of business risk or impact um, in the right way. So they just prioritize the, the, the risk that they perceive the most. That is the financial risk of going bankrupt, of not developing a feature, of losing a market. Um, and especially, you know, in this condition where we have seen layoff or we've seen a more focus on doing more with less, it will become even more challenging to go to the board and, and make the case for, you know, fixing all the vulnerabilities. <laughs> Let's say, for example, I'm going to throw a use case out here. Let's say I am the um, CISO for an organization. I have the 40 million vulnerabilities. I've done that bit. I am deployed in the cloud. Let's say I'm even using infrastructure as code. So I've actually got a an early definition of what my cloud assets look like. I know what my application looks like. And yet, nevertheless, I have this massive vulnerability fatigue. What is my next step to uh, have a more risk-based approach to fixing the right thing? That's a, that's a brilliant question. As a next step, I would say it's it's scoping. So it's taking the organization and saying, what are our crown jewels? What are the most critical applications that we run? And if the business doesn't know that, that's that's an entire different problem. You should probably search another business <laughs> if the business doesn't know what it runs. Uh, and there are a few out there that I've seen, but uh, <laughs> let's, not talk about, let's not go down that path. But the next logical step is, is scoping what you want to do uh, and, and where you want to operate. Start creating content of business application or, or, or service application and start kind of gluing in all the assets that you have in those applications because then you can link the vulnerability to those assets and you have the content of business application so you can link a business value. And the business know roughly how much is the value, how much those business applications generate, they don't know how much a server generates. It, it doesn't have that information, but you can kind of correlate a business impact assessment that traditionally organization kind of do on a year-to-year basis, or kind of you know your ARR or your analyzed revenue, and you can split that across your, if you want crown jewel, you have 300 crown jewel, you have 3 million, you can make the math and, and calculate kind of splitting how much uh, your ARR translate into these crown jewels. And then you have a perception if this goes down for how long, then you know how much, how bad it is. But even if you don't do that, if you have a business criticality concept, you're really prioritizing 
based on business application and which vulnerability matters most. And then maybe you layer on top cyber threat intelligence or um, EPSS data or other data like record the future or other uh, kind of threat intelligence information that you have out there to actually even prioritize even more and see, okay, based on this vulnerability and because this vulnerability appears on an asset that is business critical, you know, how probable it is. So you start filtering inside a business application and start prioritizing those vulnerabilities. And you already schemed out a lot of the other vulnerability. Now, there might still be a lateral movement. There might be still occasional attacks on things that are not predictable or, you know, you focus on Crown Jewel, maybe an attacker comes in from the side door. So that's where the compensating control comes in place. Um, so this is not the magic one that fix all the problem, but at least you have a methodology that is repeatable and a strategy that is repeatable and trustworthy because it's risk-based from the business. And then you start tackling things programmatically. You can start focusing programmatically and you can start measuring progress towards a path to green. Otherwise, you just say, you know, I need to fix 40 million vulnerability versus I have to fix 400 vulnerabilities. And, you know, I can start measuring the fixed rate and if I do double that fixed rate or half in that fixed rate, you know, you have a method, you have numbers, you have data. I'm, I'm a data obsessed guy, as you can see. <laughs> at, least, at least in that way, you start introducing the concept of impact, the concept of risk into a very chaotic environment. And you start putting order in a very chaotic environment. And I think it's, it's what business will feel a bit more relaxed because then you, you feel more in control. So obviously um, we've got developers that will be listening to this podcast. What what advice would you give them? A lot of this is around business risk. Developers tend not to be involved with business risk as such, but but how would a developer go around prioritizing this, the stuff that they need to do? Because they might not have an understanding what business is, but at the same time, they can't wait for the business to tell them what to prioritize. So how how would you explain to a developer how they should just, you know, how they should progress in prioritization? Um, in the absence of uh, business direction? Well, that's that's a very good question. Uh, it should be, first of all, a collaboration between development and security. This is not just a developer or just a security. Only problem is, is, is a triangle because as a business, you work in cooperation, you don't work alone. But if you're just a developer, if you're a developer that want to kind of showcase the power of prioritization, then, as I said, you can take information from Showdown, from EPSS that are publicly available. You take a vulnerability, you layer on the vulnerability with those kind of identification, and you can base it on CVE as a pivot point between what your scanner says, what EPSS says, uh, what information are out there available, and maybe you link it back to your repo or your physical assets that are out there, and then you start giving that physical asset a value. And with this kind of just basic three information, you can kind of already start forming a concept of very raw embryonal risk. And you can show our CVSS 10 has actually become a CVSS 5, while our CVSS 5 on that server that is actually exposed over the web without a WAF in front of it is actually much more dangerous. Even just taking two vulnerability and telling this story you gain much more trust. And then, you know, if you're a security person, you can double your salary just overnight because <laughs> all of a sudden you're talking about risk and security. <laughs> I think you just got a lot of people's attention there. 
Exactly. Wait, I can, I can, I can what? <laughs> <laughs> but there is a massive shortage, and and I think on the other, on the flip side, there is the, the world of security is changing, and I think we we seen more the world of security engineers versus traditional security people um, that don't think API, that don't think automation, don't think in in a different methodology, and I think we've seen the rise of data-driven approach or automated-driven approach because simply trying to solve things manually, it's it's not working. It's like we see people burn out. Okay, Frank, this has been really enlightening. I love the idea of focusing on risk versus just scoring. So there's going to be a lot of people listening who want to see you know some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, what is that light? <laughs> yeah, we we tend to be in security talking a lot of complexity, doom and gloom. Actually, it's it's the opposite. We have a lot of data available right now across the boards. Um, I I wrote tons of blogs. We talk, we wrote tons of white paper on Phoenix security on how to do this and how to structure this that are freely available. So uh, summary of all the conversation. There are two or three. Um, white paper that we've wrote with the community and individually that you can refer back into it on Phoenix security. And we have kind of API, we have data available out there where you can do this, showcase this. And my recommendation is start, start very small because it's very easy to get overwhelmed to say, okay, we want to tackle the 40 million vulnerability. No, we want to tackle two servers, two vulnerabilities showcasing this prove the value, iterate. If you can't prove the value, and, and, and that there is no point of iterating. Um, but there is data out there, and, and you can start in a very small-scale scenario and then pair that one up with process, procedure, and methodology and maybe a, a champion program, if you want, where you can start challenging your peer or your peer development group Look, I fix things at this mean time to resolution at this rate. How how quickly are you fixing and things like that? You can turn into a game. You can gamify a lot of this element. But if you don't have any data, if you don't have any structure around it, it's very easy to get depressed, overwhelmed, and go nowhere. So there is there is a path to green in this sea of red. <laughs> no, that sounds uh, like a very positive end uh, to the podcast. Um, you mentioned uh, you've got some white papers and, and obviously you, you, you probably want to continue the discussion with uh, other people. Our listeners might want to dis- continue the discussion with you. How would they get in touch with you? Brilliant. Um, you can find everything that we produce, blogs and, and white paper on phoenix.security. We try to make the website as easy as possible uh, to reach. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Francesco Cipollone or FrankSec42 on Twitter. I consistently rant about this stuff on a daily basis. So you might catch one or two posts where I rant about these things. And I consistently link the new article and podcast and blog post. Um, And then on the podcast, I rant about this a lot. So today is a little bit weird to be on the other side of the podcast. I have a podcast that I run uh, for the fourth year now. It's called uh, Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast or CSCP. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes. Um, so you can listen to me interviewing and ranting about a lot application security, vulnerability management, and, and, and a lot of those topics over and over and over. So if you haven't heard, 
And you spoke to me as well on that podcast as well. So yes, if yes. You want, to, you want to catch another conversation <laughs> where I'm on the other side, then, then go, go hunting for. All that. right, you two, two, just plug in yourselves. Go on. <laughs> uh, well. Okay, excellent. And if you're listening now, we'll put a lot of these links down in the show notes within Spotify or whatever podcast source you're listening on, so you can just click through and learn more. Thank you very much, uh, Frank. Um, that's been great. Um, thank you, Steve, as well, for uh, your support and asking the questions. Thank you very much, everyone, and stay safe out there and automate, automate, automate. <laughs> Cheers. That's a wrap. So thank you for listening to this episode. Please contact us via email at team, that's T-E-A-M, at dsolg.com if you wish to either give us a talk at a monthly gathering or come and join us on this podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast... Please don't forget to leave us a review from where you downloaded this episode. It will help us spread the news about DevSecOps and reach a larger audience. And we'll catch you in a month's time for our next DevSecOps London Gathering Meetup and, of course, the follow-up podcast, DSO Overflow. I'm Glenn Wilson. I'm Jessica Craig. I'm Steve McGarrett. See you next time.